You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game and Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive into the episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. The Carolina Panthers lost another heartbreaker over the weekend, overtime in Atlanta. Bryson, you were you had kindly come over to my house to watch the game. What a roller coaster of emotions, man. Yeah, to say the least. I think I was sad and happy the most I've ever been in one game, uh, especially within the last 10 minutes of the game. Um, you know, obviously we, we all know what happened, but thinking you won it twice, you should have won the game twice and uh, just didn't pull through. So um, a lot of blame to go around, uh, specifically to the kicker, I guess, but um, the defense was not good for most of the day and, uh, and we'll, we'll get into it. But yeah, it's just a, a lot of disappointment from that game. Yeah, we got a second timer with us this evening from Across the Pond, editor from catcrave.com. Mr. Dean Jones joins us now on the Panthers on Tap podcast. Dean, thanks so much for coming on again. I know it's a little late by you, but we do appreciate you coming back. No problem at all, mate. Uh, actually, the day daylight savings went forward on Saturday, so it's, it's kind of one hour more than it should be. So it actually works out quite well. <laughs> yeah, and you told me you got the day off, so you can uh you'll be all right. Yeah, day off, <laughs> well, day off day off from the day job tomorrow. But I'm sure there's loads of pamphlet stuff to be writing about, which is <laughs> well, why don't we talk? Why don't I want Dean? I want to get your reaction to the we'll start. We're gonna kind of work our way through the end of the game. So we'll start with the DJ Moore catch. Um, what was going through your mind when PJ launched that ball downfield 62 yards through the air? I kind of got Kyler Murray vibes from it. Do you remember when he when he hoofed it up to up to DeAndre Hopkins? I but told it was Bryson more, the same thing. Yeah, but it was it was actually more precise. Like it was crazy. It was it was nearly sixty five yards in stride, and just a just an a, an incredible catch. And obviously, what happened after with the helmet? I think. I mean, I, mean, I got some thoughts on it. I mean. You didn't see anyone throwing a flag when Stefan Diggs did it with the Minneapolis Miracle. Uh, people have said he was out of the end zone, so it shouldn't have counted. I think the league's just got to recognise that that was an emotion, such an, emotions like that. You, you just can't control them. It's simple as that, really. I mean, especially after all the Panthers have been going through lately. To, to get a huge win on the road, to go top of the NFC South sort of against all odds, only to have it sort of snatched away due to a due to a technicality that shouldn't have even be in the rule book in my opinion is is a travesty and I know Eddie should make the kicks but I mean for that for that ruling to to prevent what was I could be one of the one of the greatest moments in in franchise history in a regular season I mean certainly the most the most exciting since I've started covering them three years ago uh besides sort of Cam coming back in week 10 last year um but yeah, I mean, they did blow it to a certain extent late on. But in in terms of the catch, I mean, you'll do well to see a better one than that ever. And as for the throw, I mean, it was absolutely astonishing. I've been watching the NFL a long time. I've never seen a never seen a throw like that in my life. 
Yeah, I I mean, I tend to agree with you on the call. I'll get on my soapbox here in a little bit. But Bryson, just want to get your initial thoughts. I mean, I, I saw your reaction. You went, I mean, you went crazy. I mean, you almost threw me through our base, my basement ceiling. So yeah. um, yeah. what what'd you think of the catch and then obviously the penalty that followed? Yeah, I mean, like Dean said, it, it was one of the most exciting moments in regular season history for the Carolina Panthers and, and for me specifically. Um, really haven't seen a throw like that ever. I mean, statistically, I think it was the longest air yard pass completion of all time. So um, to to do that, you know, when when it's, there's 30 seconds left on the clock and everybody knows what you're trying to do and for DJ Moore to split the – split the corners and, and be able to just like bounce back from the drive prior where he dropped that fourth down uh, conversion catch that he should have had. Uh, I mean, the, the situation as a whole was just crazy. And um, the penalty, obviously, you know, he, he shouldn't have taken his helmet off and, and I mean, looking back on it, you know, there's been multiple reports that obviously like Dean said, it shouldn't have been called a penalty, but the kicker has to make the, the kick. I mean, you, you're getting paid millions of dollars to, to, to make kicks. It was like a 48 yarder for, for the PAT. And then, um, and then again, over time he misses one that CJ Henderson set the offense up nicely to close out the game. But um, I'm just, I was disappointed in that. And then throughout the whole game, I guess specifically the, the defense was like, I just, I, it really like stifles me to, to think that they give up three points to Tom Brady and then Marcus Mariota, gets 37 on them. It, it, it makes no sense, but um, the Falcons were having their way all day with the run game. So um, shout out to PJ Walker. Uh, he has the highest big time throw rate at 10.8% in the NFL and the lowest tur- turnover worthy play rate at 1.1% among all QBs in the NFL right now. So playing pretty damn good. Yeah. I'm just, I mean, I'll go out and say, I'm just tired of the Panthers getting fucked by refs. It's, it's really tiring, and I'll bitch about Eddie Pinero in a little while here, missing those, missing the kicks. He should have made them. But time and time again this season, the Panthers have gotten screwed on calls, and I hate to go down that route, but the DJ Moore penalty, for one, shouldn't have been called. It was pointed out by NBC Sports later that day um, by their rule analyst because he was off the field uh, when he took the helmet off. Um and then you also see several instances throughout the year where guys take their helmet off after plays are over with and the flags aren't called. So I feel like the rule is a very, it's kind of murky and it's kind of judgment call based on the ref, which I'm not a big fan of. Um, it's very, it's not cut and dry because you'd see a ton more if it was. And um, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, just the week prior, Brian Burns took his helmet off on that fourth down stop he had on the field, and there was no flag thrown. So I, I really, I really don't understand how it like they need to do the like as much as possible to take judgment calls like that out of the game, and because I mean, like you're talking about, it just it really screwed up the whole momentum of of the 67 yard touchdown pass, and like, oh God, is the kicker going to make the PAT? And obviously he didn't. So it, it's just really. Fucks the Panthers week in and week out. Yeah, and it to you to throw it at that moment, it had so much impact on the game when it's something that shouldn't have had. Uh, you know, as simple as a player taking off his helmet during a celebration, they need to get rid of the rule. It's it's stupid. I don't know if it's a player safety thing that they're concerned about, 
um, with guys celebrating because it's often thrown when during a celebration or when, uh, you know, a touchdown celebration or an interception or whatever. But I just I don't get the reasoning for it, because what's the difference between a guy screaming and yelling with his helmet on and a guy screaming and yelling with his helmet off? I just I don't get it. And I feel like it had way too much impact on the game, especially coming off of that throw. Just and I'll I'll be brutally honest with you, if that was Atlanta, if we reversed it and Atlanta did that. I I, I mean, granted, would I be happy they throw in the flag and it, it ended up the way it did? Yeah, but. I feel like it'd be very stupid to call that play, no matter who it is, no matter what team it is, no matter the situation. It just, I think it had way too much impact on that game. And um, I mentioned this on Twitter. You go back to the Browns game. I hate to bring this back up, but the, you know, they missed the, the fake spike penalty after they threw the flag and mitted over the air um, that it was a fake spike and then picked the flight back up. I mean, Carolina potentially could be sitting here at four and four. So I don't know. I'm just tired of the shit calls for against this team. And I just think it was a really bad call on Sunday to that had a major impact and influence on that game. Again, we don't know. Maybe Eddie misses that extra point and we still go to overtime. But again, should have. I still don't think it should have been called. Yeah, but they do it in football. Sorry, soccer over here as well. Like, if you take your shirt off, you get you get a yellow card. Like I've seen players get a second yellow and actually get sent off for celebrating like that. I mean, if they're going to do stuff like that, then at least have the common courtesy to get a simple holding call right or stuff like that. Like do do your job first and then worry about what players are doing after they've done their job. I mean, that's what kind of grates me the most about about officiating in general, not just in sort of the NFL, but sort of across different things. Um, just makes no common sense, and it just takes the fun out of it as well. I mean, that like you say, it completely deflated the Panthers, and especially after Eddie missed the field goal, they did. I, th- I thought they did remarkably well to to sort of galvanize themselves in the in the overtime to give themselves another chance, and and obviously Eddie missed another layup. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. But like like you say, I mean, some common sense, and it's just judgment calls they need to get right. Yeah, and another problem I have is be consistent with it. If you're going to call it for DJ Moore, I better see it when it happens to another team. I better see it when Brian Burns runs off the field, rips his helmet off after a sack. Be consistent, call it all the time, and then clearly it's going to become an issue and people are going to bitch and it's going to change next year anyway. But just be consistent with it. Um, Let's talk about overtime because that – and then obviously, you know, Eddie went on, missed the 48-yard extra point. Panthers going overtime. C.J. Henderson gets a nice interception that set up the Panthers beautifully. You couldn't you couldn't make it any better for the situation for them after how the fourth quarter ended. Eddie gets another opportunity, thirty three yard field goal, and just just shakes it. Um, Bryson, I'll start with you. Um, should Eddie be cut from the team? Should he not be on the roster as of today? I I don't think so, just because I don't know what what else is out there that would be better than Eddie Pinero right now. He he did have an awful game. He did lose lose us the game um, ultimately, but uh, he has been good for the most part of the season besides this past game. So 
Um, hopefully he bounces back. But I think if it's something that we're looking at again on Sunday and he's struggling to make PATs and kicks, then I have something you address at that point. But one game I don't think is enough to to move on um, from Eddie at this point just because he has shown some consistency. So hopefully he shakes it off. And, and you know, if we do need him versus the Bengals, he comes through. But I'm clenching my cheeks hard when he's coming up to kick. I'm telling you, I don't care if it's a PAT or if it's a – uh, five-yard field goal, uh, I'm I'm not thinking it's going in. And, um, and hopefully it does, and hopefully he can overcome his his uh, his misses. But I'm not confident at all. Yeah, I've, I've lost a lot of confidence myself in him. He, it seems like ever since we signed him, I was pretty comfortable him kicking, you know, within the 50, uh, for 50 yards out or more. Or, I mean, for 50 yards in. Uh, that has gone down the shitter from me, for me at least. And kicker is, it's a big conf, you know, there's a lot of confidence built into that position. And when you're go when you're doing well and you're confident, you're on. And when you're down in the dumps, like you miss two game winning field goals, it's just starts to go down a really dark road. So that concerns me. Uh, like you said, I mean, I'm hands over eyes, pray into the heavens anytime he kicks from now on, to be totally honest with you. Dean, I want to ask you the same thing. Do you think Eddie should be on this team still? Well, um, as a Vikings fan, I know all about kind of bad kicking. Uh, I mean, I still get PTSD every time I hear Blair Walsh's name. Never mind the see the kick in the against Seattle in the playoffs, where I thought the Vikings were actually going to go and win it all for the first time. Uh, in terms of Eddie, I mean, you just don't know how last weekend's going to affect his confidence. I know, kind of Baker and everyone were rallying around him in the in the locker room after and and Steve Wilkes was saying that they don't have plans to sort of change anything just yet, which obviously is trying to boost him up a little bit. But until he gets out there and in a, in a pressurised situation, you just don't know how it's going to go. Like uh, like Bryson said, though, he's been pretty good this year overall. So it's 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 kind of a situation where you're looking at it thinking it's, it's going to be a one-off. But until you see him sort of in another clutch situation, it's really hard to say. Well, we taught we touched on it a little bit with the throw, but let's talk about PJ Walker here for a moment because he deserves a lot of credit. We talked about it last week, but coming in this summer, this PJ Walker was a guy that was really on the outs. No one thought he'd make the roster. He was four of the three quarterbacks in the room with Corral, Darnold, and Mayfield. And now he's looking at his fourth start here coming up against Cincinnati. Dean, I guess I'll start with you on this. Do you think PJ has done, and the reporters have been asking this repeatedly uh, week in and week out to Wilkes, and I just kind of want to get your take on it, is do you think PJ has solidified himself as the starter for the rest of the season, or is this a week-by-week -week approach, kind of like what Wilkes said today he wasn't comfortable naming him the starter for the rest of the season i pretty i'm pretty sure it's kind of a week-to-week -week thing i mean I, I know he's i know he's played great on um like like you say he was the forgotten man in camp uh highly likely to have been released if uh if matt corral hadn't broken his foot but um he deserves all the credit in the world i mean like you say that throw on on sunday i mean there's only four or five quarterbacks in the nfl with that sort of arm strength um, but I'm, I mean, I'm not too sure if it's if it's sustainable. I mean, there's momentum, and 
he's taking he's taking the right risks now. Um, ben McAdoo's sort of calling better schemes that play to his strengths. Um, but I mean, I don't know if the Panthers want to see what they have in Baker now. Matt Rule's not around at some stage. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, this is all dependent on how PJ Walker plays. He's he's in the driving seat right now. He's got everyone behind him. I mean, he's an easy guy to root for. Um, he's got everyone believing, and he's he's made the Panthers competitive again. I mean, people forget that he's lost Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey as well, and he's kind of developing chemistry with players who were who were part of the long term plan, like sort of Terrace Marshall Jr. I've liked what I've seen from Tommy Tremble in terms of his uh, route running and getting more involved. And obviously, uh, you've got Dante Foreman uh, carrying a load out of the backfield as well, which has helped enormously behind, obviously, the offensive line, which has been uh, absolutely fantastic. So it's his job to keep. Whether he can keep it is the big question. But um, the lease might be kind of loosening a little bit. I mean, obviously, one sort of cataclysmic performance in Cincinnati or against Atlanta on Thursday Night Football might change stuff. But if he can get to the bye week, then I'm pretty sure he's going to be the starter for the rest of the season, no doubt. Bryce, I'm going to phrase this question a little bit differently. Do you think PJ deserves to be the starter for the rest of the year? Um, no, I, I agree with what Dean said mostly, and I kind of agree with Coach Wilkes is that, you know, it kind of is a week-to-week thing, and um, I don't think two games should guarantee you the rest of the season, so – uh, PJ has been making better plays than we've seen him make in the past. And, uh, you know, I, to be fair, though, I think if it was Baker Mayfield, if he, if he were to come back and play these past few games like PJ has played, I would say Baker's the starter for the rest of the season. So I think it's just a a, a combination of, of the situation and, I guess, PJ's past. And we've seen PJ make bad plays before. Um, we have not seen him play like this before. So I think if he can – you know, get a couple more games under his belt and, and like Dean said, make it to the bye week with consistent play, like the level he's been playing at these past two weeks. I think he's pretty much the starter for the rest of the season guaranteed. But um, I mean, I, I have not seen quarterback play like what PJ played on Sunday in a long time in Carolina. And I was very appreciative of it. Um, you know, PJ Walker, like Dean says, is a likable guy. Yeah, He was talking today in this press conference, how him and Terrence Marshall were on the scout team to start training camp and, they built chemistry there and it shows on, it showed on Sunday. I mean, they targeted Terrace Marshall twice on end zone fades and Marshall had his best game of his, of his football career. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that Terrace is getting involved. I'm happy that PJ is, is thriving behind a very good offensive line, um, a running back that has just been killer for Carolina um, looked maybe better than 22 look back there, but uh, it's just been, everything's been clicking. Right. And I, I want to see what happens when things aren't clicking for PJ and like maybe the offensive line struggling or that they can't get the run game going or um, something like that. And just see how PJ overcomes that. He did do a good job this week struggling in the first half and then bouncing back in the second half. But I think, you know, if, when there's real adversity uh, in regards to a certain part of the game plan, not working uh, for a while, then I want to see what PJ does. And um, he has definitely played well enough you know, to, to garner another start and, and gain more trust and and definitely open things up even more. So I'm, I'm happy. I would def, If I was the coach, he'd be the starter going into next week like he is and go from there. Yeah, you, you can't sit a guy after that throw on Sunday. I mean, when you got, you got Patrick Mahomes shouting you out, you're doing something right. 
I wanted to go to something you said at the tail end of your answer there. And I feel like we've seen growth in PJ from the first half struggled. I mean, he was just, and we were talking about watching the game. He was just a tick off on throws. He missed DJ deep. He missed Terrace here. He had just, just off by inches on throws. And then you saw him kind of, as he, as the game progressed, he got more accurate and start things started clicking. Um, and I can't remember the play that me and you talked about that. Like everything just started rolling again for the offense in the second half. Um, but I, I think PJ was, in the past. It was the pass that that barely went over the corner to Terrace Marshall. Once yes. he hit that, once he hit that pass, everything was on from then on out. Yeah, it was like a 25, 30 yard gain or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um but PJ, I feel like in the past, when when he would, you know, start to strain together those missed throws, he would press and then you see the, you know, you see the interception or an, an, two interceptions in a game. So I feel like you've seen a little bit of growth there, which is exciting. Um, I'm, I'm on the same page. You guys are, it's a week to week basis. Um, he's, he's got the underdog mentality. Everyone's rooting for him. Everyone in that locker room is behind him and they want him to do well. So you got to ride the train until it, you know, putters out here. Um, and you know, just be along for the ride. It's, it's, it's an exciting time when the Panthers offense scores more than 30 points. It doesn't happen very often. And to be in a divisional game like that, it brings you back to the Cam Newton days of five, six, seven years ago. Um, so it's exciting. It's fun to be around. Even if they are two and six, they're at least fun to watch. You know, the, the first five, six games this year, it was, it was you're lucky to string together 14, 15 points. Uh, and PJ's kind of brought some life to that offense. And, you know, McAdoo deserves credit. You guys talked about him a little bit, but that guy – with without the handcuffs of Matt rule on him, he's starting to open up that playbook play to, you know, the QB strengths. I feel like the offense looks like more than it, sh- it looks like more like it should have in the first half of the year with Baker. That's kind of how I thought the style of offense was going to be. And you you've seen a lot more of that over the last couple of weeks, which is good. Uh, it's exciting. And I'm, I still am curious if that, if the PJ Walker train, you know, hits a roadblock. I'd like to see Dean mentioned. I'd like to see Baker with Ben McAdoo with Matt rule no longer on this team. So that's exciting, but go ahead. It's absolutely astonishing to me how much Matt rule is holding this team back. Like the offense is, is just completely night and day from, from when Matt rule was at the helm to when Steve Wilkes is at the helm. And, uh, I mean, just everybody's playing better. Terrace Marshall seeing the field and playing good. Uh, I mean, obviously, PJ playing well. Foreman's being used more, even, you know, prior to CMC's exit. Uh, I mean, it's just like there are so many players that had talent that were, for some reason, not seeing the field that are just flourishing now that Matt Rule's gone. And, and, and it's really good to see. I think it's one of those things, too, that, you know, the firing kind of opened up some people, too, that, like, I mean, you're playing for your freaking life right now because this team is you get rid of the head guy and, you know, that locker room just even came closer together, it seemed like, um, and rallied around, you know, the new guy at the helm and Wilkes and rallied around the new quarterback because Baker got injured when Matt Rule was out. So, like, I feel like that just brought everyone together um, in more close knit locker room. But let's talk about the defense a little bit. Um, They struggled. 
for a team to hold Tom Brady to three and then give up 37 to an Atlanta, Atlanta team that hasn't been very good offensively, the run game has. That's been there. Uh, they're I think they're top five in uh, in rushing yards. But overall, that team is just not strong offensively. And they just – they put on a clinic, man. I mean, it was like – I think there was like – there was like four or five lead changes in that fourth quarter. At least it seemed like that. I mean, there was a ton of lead changes in that game, just bouncing back and forth. But I was shocked. I didn't think Atlanta was going to put up that many points and put that much stress on this defense, and they struggle. I mean, that uh, that play, uh, Demir Bird, whatever his first name is. Is it Demir Bird? Mm -hmm. Yeah, former Panther. All those missed tackles. I mean, that was one of the ba- the key things on defense is they could not tackle guys on Sunday. And it was really frustrating because it's happened before since Wilkes has got here. I think they struggled tackling versus the Rams. And then they kind of bounced back against Tampa Bay. And then they struggled again versus Atlanta. So they need to clean that up this week. If they're, I mean, they're coming in against the Bengals. We'll talk about it later. But they need to clean up tackling really quickly. Dean, what do you think about the defense? I thought uh, it's the, it's the same old thing, isn't it? I mean, the spine's good, but they desperately need another D end. Uh, he's just not it. Yato Gross Martos, I'm sorry. Um, considering he was the 38th overall pick in 2020, this was a major opportunity for him, and he's just not delivering. Uh, gap discipline's poor when uh, people go edge runs, uh, when mobile quarterbacks get out on the move. Um, both him and Brian Burns find it difficult to sort of to sort of get to them first before obviously the second level's got its own struggles. So they find it difficult also. So um I thought another thing, I thought JC Horn might have shadowed Carl Pitts a little bit more um when it, when he's when some momentum started going a little bit. I know they were worried about Drake London. Um Dante Jackson was obviously going through um yet more injury problems. Um clearly didn't look healthy at times and they were obviously more concerned about Drake London when they were about Kyle Pitts in the slot uh, when it should have been the other way around at times, I thought. Um, but like I say, it's it's a work in progress still. Um, they need Jeremy Chin back at safety as well alongside Xavier Woods. I mean, I, I, Miles Hartsfield plays his heart out every week, but just that extra bit of a dynamic play on the back end would, 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 have, would have helped them a lot in this game, especially when sort of Mariota got to the second level quite a lot, and especially during that uh, during that crucial overtime run, um, but you've you've got you've got to love what you've seen from Derek Brown at the minute. I mean, if it wasn't for the Panthers' record, I think he'd be in contention for all pro consideration. The way he's playing at the moment, he's he's really come to life, coming of age, uh, becoming the player the Panthers expected when they took him seventh overall. Um, so there's work to do, like I say, but this is a young group and. Um, there were always going to be sort of spits and sparks well, in terms of how they played. Uh, last week was good against the Bucks, but this last Sunday wasn't wasn't great. But they'll get it together. But it's the second level for me, just made major problem there. And obviously the second defensive end. Bryson? Yeah, I, I think uh, Dean called out most of the people Um the defensive line, I mean, just with when they rush four, they get no pressure whatsoever. Uh, Brian Burns gets double teamed or whatever it may be, chipped, and 
Etor's just not getting any pressure from the other side, and he's got half a sack through eight games, just unacceptable. Um, meanwhile, Hassan Reddick is in Philadelphia and has five and a half sacks, a half a sack more than Brian Burns does. So um, the the lack of pressure really gave Mariota time when he did drop back to pass, and Mariota found found who, who was open for most of the day. So credit to him, and the line struggled to. Uh, with gap integrity to stop the run, and and I've, it looked like Atlanta's offensive line was bullying them for most of the day, and it was just not a good showing from that defensive line as a whole. Derek Brown, though, like Dean said, did play well um, and had that really important – I think it was a third down stop to for, uh, to uh, force fourth down. He, like, tackled the running back on the shoelaces and, and got him down, but it was just not a good performance. And then Shaq Thompson is not good at football anymore I mean I don't know if he was really ever good but he's just you can tell his age is getting to him he's slow in coverage he's he's getting exposed I think he was the one that missed a tackle to start with on Demir Bird um or, or it might have been the Kyle Pitts one but either way Kyle Pitts was they kept running that play where Kyle Pitts would just like pretty much stand on like the sideline and be wide open like, like I don't I don't understand how that kept happening but it seemed like to me that it was Shaq's man most of the time and um, anything across the middle, Shaq was kind of just not really doing anything about. And um, he's kind of been a weak point of this defense and uh, really need better linebacking play um, if they want to improve as a as a unit. But I thought the defense was not good enough, obviously. Uh, and throughout the whole game, Curtis and I were talking. Uh, we didn't understand why J.C. Horn wasn't shadowing Pitts either. Pitts was, kept killing him play after play after play. And – J.C. Horn was just sticking on London or, or whoever was on his side and really didn't understand that. And I think at times we even saw Dante Jackson on pits, which is – I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all to me. But, yeah, I just – I wasn't happy overall, and I, I hope that they can improve next week because if they get no pressure on Joe Burrow, he's throwing for 500 yards versus defense. Going to Shaq Thompson, um, I'm curious if he is just not healthy. Um, because he played pretty damn well last year, was a bright spot for this defense. In the offseason, he had a minor knee surgery that kept him out of the entire training camp, if you guys remember that. And then he came back late, and he has just not been the same ever since. Um, and I wonder if he's just not fully recovered from that injury whatsoever. And I don't know if he's – it just seems like there shouldn't be that big of a drop off from how he played last year into this year. And that's the only thing I can point to right now, besides maybe the change up at defensive coordinator, but he still was very, I and mean, he still wasn't that great earlier, early in the season or early on um, based off of what he did last year. So that's one question I have is if, if this guy is fully healthy right now, because it just seems very odd um, that you don't see him all over, and he does make plays still, but it's just not at the level he was at last year at all. Uh, I'm not going to reiterate what you guys talked about. Um, I have a lot of the same concerns. Um, Brian Burns, Dean, you talked about it early on, earlier on in this uh, podcast, but he got held on the bird play. I mean, he was literally tackled to the ground by the linemen, and the refs did not throw a holding holding penalty on that, which was complete bullshit. Um, and then you had to play later in overtime. Brian Burns admits it. He said he should have made it. It was a third and one play. Mariota, uh, I think it was a read option. 
Brian Burns literally missed it by like a tick. It would have been a fort down and they probably wouldn't have been able to kick the field goal in overtime unless they went for it. Mariota, Brian Burns missed the tackle. Mariota runs for like 15, 20 yards, sets up the game winning field goal in overtime. So just those plays, they keep coming up across the defense and they got to capitalize on some of those. Um, Dante Jackson, got to give him a little credit. That one-handed interception in the first half, hell of a play by him. C.J. Henderson played probably his best game this weekend. Um, He came alive, you know, old C.J. Henderson in the first half of the year would have given up a P.I. on that pick in overtime. And instead, he got an interception. Like but yeah, the defense has got to step it up, and I think they will. I they, they seem to have bounce back games. You go back to you know they they played the Rams, they ended up losing. They gave up what twenty some points or whatever it was. Then they hold Tom Brady to three, and then they have the big uh, blowout game versus Atlanta, thirty seven points. I feel like they should bounce back this week. And, you know, Cincinnati, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but that offensive line is struggling, and there's no reason why they don't have a couple of sacks on Sunday. It was the Browns had five. Browns defense was playing out of their mind on Monday, but that offensive line is not very good. That I feel bad for Joe Burrow. He looks like Sam Darnold, and those guys looked last year with, with the Panthers. That shit, it's sad because they're ruining his years, man, with not giving him any protection. But I want to talk about Tuesday, the trade deadline. Um, Ten trades in a single day, which was a record. Panthers were quiet. But, you know, we already know they got rid of Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson earlier on. Um, But there was a report that came out from Albert Breer. Uh, The Panthers turned down the Rams' offer of two first-round picks and Cam Akers for Brian Burns. Um, for those who don't know, cause it was on Twitter that the Panthers are crazy for turning this down. The Rams do not have a first pick next year. So it would have been a 2024 and 2025 first round pick. Bryson, I'm going to start with you. We all know your feelings on Brian Burns. So what do you have taken this offer? No, I, I don't think so, just because what you mentioned with it being in 2024 and 2025, uh, that really dissuades me. And it being the Rams pick, it's going to be a late first-round pick. So pretty much like two early seconds uh, in two distant years from now, uh, two, three distant years from now, I, I just would rather keep the player um, and, and go from there. I am worried about the contract that he's going to demand. Um, I know you posted on Twitter today about – comparable to a Max Crosby contract, which is like $24 million a year. That makes me sick to think about, but uh, he's going to have to start putting up some more numbers uh, to, to earn a contract like that. In my, in my opinion, um, he does not have any help. So hopefully the, the Panthers can get him some help and maybe those numbers do come up when the, uh, when offenses have to scheme for somebody else besides him to get sacks. But um, I just felt like on Sunday, he was kind of non-existent for pretty much the whole game and, Really, the the Atlanta the Falcons offensive line is not like a top tier offensive line. It's not a you know Pro Bowl perennial offensive line. So I was hoping for a big day from Brian Burns, and fortunately it didn't happen. But yeah, I, I, back to the picks. I'm I'm glad they didn't accept it. Cam Akers is you know they're just trying to get rid of him because he doesn't want to play for the Rams for some reason. And the two first round picks just really 
don't entice me. Now, if it was the Eagles, which was kind of reported before, and I guess found not true if it was like the Saints pick they offered and that one of their other first round picks in that draft, then um, I'm thinking about accepting that because that's, you know, you have three first round picks and two top 10 potentially. So um, I just feel like the two late firsts aren't really enough for me to move Brian Burns at this point. Yeah, I thought I saw somewhere. I don't know how they get this calculation, but a 2024 first rounder and a 2025 first rounder is essentially a second and third round pick, which that is not worth it at all for Brian Burns when you look at it. Uh, Dean, just your thoughts on it, because some some are still calling Some of the analysts are still calling Carolina crazy for not taking it. What do you think? I think if it was the 2023 first, it might have been a different story. If it was 2023 and 24. But like I say, Rams didn't have that anyway to offer. Um, the problem I've got, I know, I, know, I know you've got to pay him, but if you trade him, he's he's an elite, explosive pass rusher. You're banking on someone, finding someone from the college ranks who can just come in and, and immediately get you sort of eight, nine, ten sacks and become a leader in a locker room. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, outside of Will Anderson and a couple of others, the the edge group isn't, isn't that great this year anyway, uh, sort of at the top end. So I mean they made the right call. I think I think they need to keep their young core intact, as uh, Scott Fitter has said, um, just to make it a more so, a potential attractive destination for new head coaches. If Steve Wilkes uh, doesn't sort of do enough to to win the job, because I mean, and if they're going to go after sort of sort of a Sean Payton or a Ken Dorsey or even a D'Amico Ryan's, they're they're going to want to know, especially if D'Amico Ryan's is a target. He's got all his young dynamic d- defenders uh, there ready to go. Because, um, like I say, I, I don't think the Panthers are that far away, to be honest. Um, providing they keep Bradley Bozeman and uh, Matt A just next year in free agency. Um, a couple more pieces here and there and, and they'll be good to go, I think. Uh, obviously, the quarterback is the big thing. But, like I say, Burns is going to command major money, over £20 million a year, easy. I know uh, Bryson doesn't really want to hear that right now, <laughs> but um, that's just and this making turning down an offer like this only strengthens his sort of negotiations when the time to begin. So it'll be interesting to see sort of the size of the contract he does get. Yeah, the only uh, you know upside to that is Carolina is likely going to go after a rookie QB in this draft, so the money for that premier position won't be as high. So that may offset that a little bit, but. He is going to command a lot of money. And with those reports coming out, it just got a whole lot higher. So I don't know if you guys saw this today. I was reading this about an hour ago. It was part of the ESPN Plus stuff. But Jeremy Fowler put this out this morning. So I wanted to get your take on it. I kind of I can figure where Bryson is going to be headed on this. But multiple teams were looking for corner help and targeted Dante Jackson and CJ Henderson. That was from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Um, He said Jackson required a premium pick because the Panthers just extended him. It looks like they at least wanted a second rounder for Jackson. Obviously no team probably gave up for that. And then also Henderson would have been an easier deal because he's on a rookie deal, but Carolina liked him too. So I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. I can kind of already figure out, Bryson, where you're headed on this one with Dante Jackson, but I just just reaction to that and that report. Yeah, I, I did not see that, so thank you for bringing that to our attention. But 
Yeah, I'm I'm taking whatever I can get for Dante Jackson at this point. I just I, – I don't think he's a good corner. He's – he gets exposed quite a bit. And, yeah, he gets your flashy pick every now and then. He lucks into a couple. I mean, the one this past Sunday was, was good. I give him credit for that. But, I mean, he, he just gets exposed week in and week out in coverage. Uh, he looks lost at times. I think there was a play Sunday where it was like – he was going the wrong way. Like he kept running to the right in the wide receiver where the ball was going to the left. And I just, Henderson is better than Dante. So I could see them wanting to keep Henderson and in trading Dante. I don't understand why they were requiring a second. I, I would easily let him go for a third or fourth, maybe even a fifth. And uh, just, you know, first of all, you hit next season is when his contract starts hitting. Dante's going to be making close to $15 million starting next season. I'm not wanting to pay Dante Jackson $15 million, especially if you got the Brian Burns contract on the horizon. And um, you you gonna you need to bring in help on the defensive line, additional to Brian Burns and a couple other areas, linebacker we got into. So I'm not wanting to pay Dante. And I, I would have traded him for anything I could have got, really. Uh, I That really is frustrating to me. And I, I get he's a locker room guy and um, he's his teammates like him, but – if you're not good at football, you're not good at football. And I really just don't think Dante's a very good corner in this league. Well, I don't know if there's <laughs> – he just got roasted. I, Deed, I want to know what your thoughts are on, on, that, on that report. Uh, how do you follow that, really? Uh, <laughs> I think for a second rounder, they should have bitten their hand off. Uh, obviously, Jeremy Fowler said it, it wasn't offered. No one was biting. Um, but that's where the Panthers drafted him, after all. And uh, – he has become exposed and opposing offenses are targeting him in key third, third downs now as well, which is a bit of a worry um, considering what the Panthers thought he would be opposite JC Horn. Um, if it was a choice between the two, uh, it would probably be um, CJ Henderson to stick around because the Panthers invested a lot in him uh, in terms of draft capital um, and they could probably get him for a lot cheaper than they're paying Jackson right now. Um they could still probably trade Jackson uh, next off season. I'm uh, just looking at over the cap here. Um, if they trade him pre June one, uh, the dead money seven point three, and the savings six point nine five. So it's kind of evenly split, um, which might be something they re re look at depending on sort of which free agents or which sort of draft picks take their eye. Um, and it's the injuries as well. I mean, I, I know he's strung a, a good run of games together last year, but he's he's rarely been fit this year, even though he's been on the field. I mean, he was carted off again late uh, on Sunday. Um, and it is becoming an, a, a concerning area outside of JC. I think JC's masking a lot of the problems in the secondary at the moment. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely one to watch, but I'm not surprised the other teams were interested because he is, he is kind of a speedy cornerback who can go down go down the field with with receivers. Yeah, and, and that was another aspect I didn't even get into. It seems like every week he's in the medical tent for something. And it's just like it literally doesn't surprise you anymore. And Dante Jackson's on the medical tent. He's not on the field right now. Like it's the same thing over and over. And and personally I really like Keith Taylor and I think Keith Taylor needs more playing time on the field. So moving Dante, moving CJ to his spot and then getting Keith Taylor on the field, I think would be conducive for for the team as a whole. So um, that just all plays into the why I would have traded Dante Jackson. Yeah, I, I'm torn about him. Like, I think he's serviceable. I don't think he's terrible. 
I don't think he's an awful number two, but I also don't think he's great. And you guys have mentioned all the reasons. His injury, I mean, it's every other play Dante Jackson's down on the ground, it seems like. I mean, every game he's going down once, and there's no surprise about it at all. Um, We all would have liked Stephon Gilmore last year. I really think that was a Matt Rule move because it was Dante. It was, you know, a guy that he really liked coming in here and – um, was kind of Matt Rule's locker room guy, it seems like. Um, but, you know, the chips didn't fall that way, and here we are. I just – I don't think he's an awful number two, but he's just got to play better. He's got to be more consistent. The off-ball – he plays a lot of guys off-ball. It drives me nuts. I mean, it, it's a third and five, and he's given a and, – and it's the defense they call too, but he's given a seven-yard cushion on a third and five – or like a third and five. Um, just, I just hate it. And it it almost seems like he's playing not to give up the deep ball. Um, so he gives a lot underneath and you saw that in the Atlanta game. You see that in several other games. Dante is a key target on a third down play. He's usually the corner to give up the third down. I don't think he's awful, but he's just that tweener guy where it's, it's so hard. One game he'll play out of his mind. And then the next game, you know, it's, Every third down, it's they're targeting Dante's guy. So he's he's in the middle. I won't slam him as bad as Bryson did, but he's frustrating. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Um, well, let's talk about the matchup this weekend in Cincinnati. Bengals, I mean, they got embarrassed on Monday Night Football. Cleveland Browns took them to pound town. Uh, I said it already. Burrow sacked five times in that game. He threw one pick. I think he had a couple fumbles. I mean, Miles Garrett was playing out of his mind. Uh, they were shut out in the first half. Um, how are we feeling about this one? I'm a little nervous because they were embarrassed so much on Monday Night Football. So, Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the Bengals are angry and they want a bounce-back game and um, don't have much confidence in this defense coming off of last week getting no pressure with four. They're going to have to blitz Burrow to get to him, um, probably unless, you know, Brian Burns just, just does have an amazing game versus the poor offensive line of the Bengals. But I really don't see that happening. And um, hopefully, you know, Burrow doesn't expose them when when they do blitz. But uh, if the Panthers can get after Burrow, then it might look like it, it they did versus the Browns. But I just don't have a whole lot of confidence in that going into it. Um, Burrow, I think, versus the – Falcons threw for like 350 yards at halftime when he was playing them. So uh, the Falcons defense isn't very good. The the Bengals defense is is a pretty good defense. Usually um, they weren't versus the Browns, but the Bengals defense is a defense that's very competitive. And um, I think that hopefully PJ can keep up his play that we've talked about earlier in the podcast. And I, I do think it'll be competitive. I don't think it's going to look like the Browns game, you know, either way, the Panthers or the Bengals. But uh, I think it's going to be a competitive game, and I'm just hoping that the I think the difference will be is, is if Carolina can get pressure on Burrow or not. Because if they can, I think the Panthers win. If they don't, then I think the Bengals win big. So, Dean, thoughts on the game? Yeah, I think it all starts like Bryson said with pressure. Um, the Bengals spent a lot of money on their offensive line this, uh, that last off season, but. I mean, it just goes to show uh, if they're not being coached up the right way, which is why I think James Campen was was one of the best additions for the Panthers this offseason to get sort of three or four new new players all all tuned up pretty quickly, despite 
kind of Brady Christensen and Anika McCornu uh, alternating positions for most of camp was is just remarkable. But um, obviously, no Jamar Chase. Um, Joe Mixon would worry me. Uh, looking at the run defense last last week, uh, if he, if he get if he gets out on the edge, he's he's an elite back at making people miss at the second level, um, which obviously I spoke about before is a is a kind of a frustrating concern for me with this group. Um, they've got T Higgins, they've got Tyler Boyd, they've got Joe Burrow. Um, I just think the defense is really going to have to make some improvements from last week, uh, but I don't think it's going to be. Um, kind of a walkover. I know they're kind of like seven, seven and a half point fa- favourites at the minute, the Bengals, which is, which I think is quite high. Um, when you consider, I think one of their corners went on IR this week as well. So um, there should be opportunities. But like I say, if you're going on the road to Cincinnati as well, um, it's never sort of an easy place to go at the best of times. Not sure what the weather's going to be like. Uh, I haven't checked that yet, but um, they do well to get anything out of it. Um, but at least from a fan, from a Carolina fan's point of view, it's I mean it's kind of nice to have a team with some heart again, um, knowing that they can go in, into this game, even even with a half chance. I mean, <clears throat> kind of during the end days of Matt Rule, um, it was a struggle to turn on turn on the TV or kind of get 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 yourself sort of motivated for a game. Whereas whereas now with Steve Wilkes, there's kind of more professionalism, better preparation and kind of just see where it takes you, really. But, I mean, I'd be surprised if the Panthers won it, but that's not to say they can't give them a good fight. Yeah, I was looking at the weather. It's 71 and looks like partly cloudy on Sunday, 20% chance of rain. So it should be a pretty good day. Run the damn ball with Foreman. I think Hubbard, <laughs> mix of Hubbard in there if he's coming back. No, no, no. I will take no. Hubbard over Spencer Brown, sir. Yes, I will. Yes, over Spencer Brown, but not over Blackshear. I don't understand why Spencer Brown was seeing the field. That blew my mind. Blackshear was on the roster. That did, never... but I'll take Hubbard. Oh, I'll take Hubbard over both of those guys. Not me. Um, Hell no, not me. He knows the playbook, and he's better in pass uh, pass protection. Um, but yeah, I think the mix of those guys, and I think the court that corner injury, Carolina needs to test that a little bit more. I feel like. Atlanta, you know, very similar with Atlanta. They lost a corner to IR the week before coming in. Um, they need to you know, test that, I think, out early, too, against Cincinnati. And then you guys talked about, I think, the offensive line, defensive line for the Panthers is going to be key, protecting P.J. Walker. And then, obviously, the Panthers' D-line bringing the heat. And the linebackers for the Panthers need to step up. We talked about it. They have struggled several games in this in this season and they really need to step up and the front seven needs to show out for this game and they need to tackle better uh, and i'm sure that's the key this week in practice and i'm hopefully we see something similar to the bucks game on sunday let's do a prediction here bryson you got one who's winning this game give me a score yeah i think it's going to be it's not going to be like a blow up blow up but i do think that the Bengals will win comfortably uh, I guess is the way to put it. Uh, I, I would say the Bengals win 29 to 20. Um, I think that that's probably close to what it will be. Dean? Uh, I'll probably say Bengals 28-24, but the Bengals go ahead by a lot quite early. And then obviously PJ gets them back into it late. But a narrow loss. 
Dean must have been looking at my scorecard. That's what I was going to go. Um, just looking at the past couple games, I did this last week. They, since he beat the New Orleans Saints 30-26, they pretty handily beat the Falcons the week after 35-17, and then they lost to the Browns this weekend. We saw it. I'm going to change my score since Dean stole mine. I'll do 27-24 Cincinnati. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith, um, in the defense really, to be honest, which is shocking. I am a little nervous, um, even with Jamar chase out and we saw it with Atlanta, you know, they, Carolina got exposed really from the second quarter on. Um, in that game and just struggled, struggled tackling, struggled with getting off the field on third down, um, struggling getting pressure. And I feel like that's going to hurt them. Um, and they, and we, you know, they got Joe Mixon. That guy is no bum and he's a pretty speedy back and he can catch the ball out in the perimeter too, which is going to be, which is going to be difficult for the Panthers linebackers, I think, unless they put, unless they put a safety on uh, on one of the uh, on Mixon. So I just think it's going to be too much. It's on the road and I don't think Carolina comes away with a win here. Which again, it's it's part of that bittersweet time where it's yeah, we want to see them win, but yeah, this just puts them one step closer to the first pick in the draft too. So it's that game you got to really play um with this season and how it's gone so far. But Dean, I just want to thank you again for coming on um, to the podcast. We appreciate you. I know it's late by you, but we do appreciate your time. And if you guys haven't already, don't follow Cat Crave online. Go give them a follow and go read some of the stuff that they put out there on catcrave.com. They're putting articles out daily. Check it out. They got a lot of good stuff on there. And Dean, thanks again. No problem, guys. Enjoyed it. We want to thank Dean again for coming on to the Panthers on Tap podcast. Always a pleasure to get his perspective on how things are going for the Carolina Panthers this season. We do want to thank everyone for listening to tonight's episode. You can catch all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Panthers on Tap. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always, 